Amen. Morning, Calvary. He is risen. Maybe you haven't ever heard that before. Um, something we like to say, as all of the church of history have practiced this. Let me try it again. I'm going to say he is risen, and we can echo back he is risen indeed. Ready? One, two, three. He is risen. It is because he is alive that we can stand here today and celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Because he is alive, Easter has new meaning. Because he is alive, we are alive. People sometimes say, Daniel, are you super excited about Easter? And I'm like, yes, it's like my Super Bowl, right? And all those illustrations and analogies and, and all those things. But if you were to ask me, Daniel, what would it look like for you as a pastor, to have the church, what, what does success look like in that moment for Easter? And it's very simply the following, that the church, including myself, would live daily in the light of the resurrection in every aspect of our lives. So are you living in the resurrection? And what does that even mean? Let's Spend a little time on that today. What's, first of all, what is the definition of the resurrection? The definition of the resurrection, according to Merriam-Webster, is the state of one risen from the dead. Shocking. You may have heard that definition. That's not like a mind-blowing to you, but the reality is the state of one risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. We have a saying around here, ain't nobody found nobody. And one of the things that causes great consternation to the atheist of the world is because very few people will deny that Jesus existed, but there is no evidence of a physical body of Jesus found on this planet. And people have really tried. Ain't nobody found nobody is indicative of the fact that Jesus is alive. He has been resurrected. And because he is resurrected, we now have access to God himself and can dwell and live with God in the form of the Holy Spirit. That may be a overwhelming to some of us at the front. So let me get there as the sermon goes on. But I want to kind of talk about this resurrection. Who was the resurrection really about? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 12. If you don't, they should be on the screen. By the way, a special thanks to those who are sitting out in the lobby area in the overflow section. Thank you for accommodating um, that. Us, this room is completely full. Luke 24, verses 1 through 12, says the following. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, let me pause real quick, perplexed about this, Jesus had told the disciples, he had told these ladies, he had told many people that he was going to be crucified, he was going to be resurrected from the dead, and they all heard that and went, uh-huh, that's awesome, Jesus, right? But did not live in that understanding of what the resurrection would actually take place. Why? Because if I told you today, hey, I'm about to die, but don't worry, I'm going to be resurrected. Even though you might admire me or you might respect me, you're not believing that. Why? Because no one rises from the dead, right? So they were perplexed, even though Jesus, the God of this universe, had done many miracles. They were shocked. They were in awe of this. 
And suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, indicative of the fact that they were holy men. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. That's when the words started making sense. So returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven, that's the disciples, and to all the rest. And Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the other women were with them, telling the apostle these things. But these words seemed like nonsense to them. Here again, the disciples who had heard numerous times, he will be crucified, he will be risen from the dead, okay? Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, and when he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloth, so he went away amazed at what would happen. We gather on Easter Sunday in light of the resurrection, and in fact that the resurrection has already happened, and yet there are still some that doubt. Can you understand why the disciples would doubt? And maybe just maybe you came to church today, or maybe you're watching this online, and and you're expecting a celebration of Easter, and it's a wonderful time, and we're going to go and honor our mom or our aunt or our granddad by showing up at church, but it really doesn't mean much. You're not expecting to encounter the resurrection. It will come as a surprise to you. But church, I believe the resurrection can happen in you today. Are you open to looking at the empty tomb? Are you open to seeing Jesus for who he really is? So what is the resurrection really about? Well, the resurrection was about Christ. In fact, if you remember the definition that I read to you from Merriam-Webster, that's actually the third listed definition. The first definition of resurrection, according to Merriam-Webster, is something to the effect of the fact that Christians believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's the first definition. Why? Nobody else has been resurrected from the dead. It's, It's funny. So the very fact that we talk about resurrection is tied to the fact that Jesus is alive. And so we talk about resurrecting our lives, and and all of that is Christian words that have come from the um, kind of the evolution of that word as it it unpacks the idea of what it really looks like to come to understanding that Jesus was resurrected. The resurrection is central to the faith of a Christian. Why? Because without the resurrection, even though Jesus came and he lived a, a perfect life and died for us, right? And the Good Friday story of where he was crucified and went through unimaginable pain and scourging and and would give up his last breath, if that was it, Christianity would be dead. It would still be in the tomb where that body laid. But because he is alive, we can live with him. Because he is alive, we can live in the power of what it looks like to follow Christ. Because he is alive, we have hope And hope is putting faith to action. It's coming to the place that not only our eternity, but this life is different. The resurrection is centered around the fact that Jesus is alive. So the resurrection was about Christ. But the resurrection was also about the disciples. He told them. He told them, hey, 
I'm going away, but I will return. And they went, uh-huh. In the famous sermon by S.M. Lockridge, I would love for you to look that on YouTube sometime. It's the sermon called Friday was here, but Sunday was coming. Y'all know that one? One of the famous lines of this sermon, and I won't do it justice, but he said, the disciples on Friday, the disciples were sheep without a shepherd. Mary is crying. Jesus is dying. But Sunday is coming. It's this idea that we believe there is a better hope, there is a better way, that, that our life can turn around. Why? Because the resurrection was about proving to the disciples he was who he was, and they were experiencing him and living with him, but it's also about us walking with Jesus. Because you see, the resurrection is also about all of us. Any of us who accept Jesus as Lord, like it's symbolic through the baptism, we are, we are dying to that old way. That's what the baptism symbolized. We are dying to our old way and being resurrected just as Jesus was resurrected out of the tomb. We are being resurrected back into a new life and a new hope and a new purpose. We can walk in that resurrection. So for us, maybe your life looks like this. You didn't expect Jesus to come and do something in your life because you sit there and think, well, that'd be nice to have Jesus at the end of life. But the resurrection is also for here and now, right? Because he told them Friday is, is here, but Sunday is coming. And so one of the ways that we can practice, I'm going to try to give a, a modern-day illustration of the sermon I just read. said so maybe life for you isn't going well. Inflation is causing stress. Your marriage is a mess. But Sunday is coming. Church, this is exciting news. Because most people, when they come to Christ— they're wanting a little bit of hope. They're wanting a little bit of a restoration. And this is what the Bible is about. The resurrection is about all of us, about being resurrected from the way that we used to live into a new life. In fact, the resurrection Sunday, even though it is the central point of the entire Easter life, the entire Christian life, and I believe the entire universe— the Resurrection Sunday is not the only resurrection that the Bible talks about. I would argue that the resurrection story began in Genesis and will continue on through the end of life on earth. What do I mean by that? Well, the resurrection has always been the plan. You see, Adam and Eve were resurrected from their original sin. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, there was this garden of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in this garden, Adam and Eve were able to eat from any tree they wanted to. They just couldn't eat from that one tree. And the reason this tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is before they ate of that tree, Adam and Eve only knew good. Wouldn't that be amazing? Can you imagine a life with no pain, no heartache, no hardships? But when they ate of that fruit, they said, I don't want to do God's way. And that's called sin. And the moment they did, their first reaction was, I'm no longer comfortable in the skin I'm in. In fact, I need to go fashion some clothes because I'm no longer comfortable being me. And in that shame, have you ever been there? 
Have you ever been that, that little boy or that little girl who's 40 years old and you're wondering, why haven't I figured out life? And so you're struggling, going, I need a sense of identity. And, and so we, we learn to find identity. We, we, we seek it through careers and promotions. And when we can't find that, we may turn to addictions. Or we spend our life stressed out and constantly worried because we think we can figure life out. Because all of life is something that we try to control and we try to manage and we try to self-medicate with this thing called sin. And it doesn't lead you to happiness. It doesn't lead you to peace. Can I say that this morning that maybe the gospel story is asking you to bury trying to live your life the way you think and to trust God and give him your life so that you can be resurrected to that hope. So it's no coincidence the story of Adam and Eve. The way that Jesus or God handles that in the garden is he sacrifices an innocent animal, and covers them with the clothing of that innocent animal, foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross and the resurrection of our life that is to come. Think it stops there? Now what about God's people through the journey of Egypt? The story of Joseph, this, the Bible calls this the book of Exodus, right? Where God's people were sent into captivity. They were sent into slavery, Indicative of the fact that we are all slaves to sin, foreshadowing what is to come, foreshadowing how humanity constantly tries to oppress and is oppressed, and, and really understanding what it looks like to release that and come to the Father and give Him our freedom. And so the Egyptians were in captivity, and God sent them a Passover lamb, symbolizing the lamb that would be to come. You think it stops there? What about the story of Ruth, who was at that day and time in the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, a woman who was a widow whose father-in-law had died, whose husband had died. She had no male to provide for her, and that day was often a death sentence for widows. And she struggled, and she was willing to go wherever her mother-in-law said, and said, I'm not going to just let you die alone, and wherever you go, I will go, and your people will be my people. And then God provides a, wait for it, kinsman redeemer. The story of Boaz in that Bible, uh, that story portrays the kinsman redeemer that's coming in through the blood of Jesus Christ, and through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In fact, Ruth is found in the lineage of Jesus. She not, God not only provides for her, she through the kinsman redeemer, gave birth to the line that would lead to Jesus. And one of those would be a man by the name of David, who was an adulterer and a murderer. And yet God calls a man after his own heart. So maybe you're sitting there here today going, I don't know that God could love me. Daniel, you don't know what I've done. And I would sit there and I'd go, the Bible has people like David to show you God loves you. And your death can be resurrected to new life. Shall I go on about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were tossed in the fiery furnace because they did say no? Yes, that's a wrap by somebody. I'm not going to go into that. And so as they were doing that, they were tossed in the fiery furnace and the angel of the Lord resurrected it so they could testify of the good news of Jesus. What about in the New Testament? How about Paul who was literally killing and persecuting Christians only to become one of them and then to find himself in prison after prison after prison at death's ends only to be resurrected to proclaim the story of the good news. How about the lineage of our ancestors? How about those who are coming? Story after story after story. When God's people abandon their ways and trust God, the resurrection of the power of Christ comes alive. Now I have many people in this world who have told me, Daniel, America is going the downhill slide. But do we as Christians believe that God could resurrect that? Do we believe in the power of God? Do we believe that God could do something mighty still in this land? 
It begins when you allow God to do something mighty in you. Are you willing to walk in the power of the resurrection today? The gospel story is about us. Now here's where it gets difficult. In one sense, Sunday has already come. And in another sense, Sunday is still coming. Because salvation happened and was offered and available to us all the moment that Jesus was resurrected and the Spirit came upon us. Yet sin is still in this world, which is why this world is still hard. So our job and our hope and our responsibility is to continually die to ourselves and continually trust God and allowing His Spirit to come in and direct us and the fruits of that spirit are peace, patience, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Doesn't that sound good? It's hope. It's purpose. It's a plan. Yet going back to the way I started this sermon, here's what I find. My hope is that when you come to an Easter service like this, or when you darken the step of a church, that's not the only time you taste the resurrection. And I think far too often what we do is we treat the resurrection like a Polaroid snapshot to put in a, a memory bank so that we can count on that to look at that when we're going through a difficult time instead of realizing that the resurrection story should be a movie we live day in, day out as the power of God goes with us to our work, as the power of God goes with us in our marriages, as the power of God goes with us in our loneliness, as the power of God goes with us everywhere. To walk in the power of the resurrection means that you are never alone because the resurrected King of Kings is with you. That should excite us. So what does it look like for us to receive that? And how should it transform our reality here and now? Romans 6, 5-7 through 7 says this, For if we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death, in other words, if we surrender to Him and die as symbolic through what we do through baptism, we will certainly also be in the likeness of His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Has sin enslaved you? Do you feel caught and captured by this world? Do you feel the struggle of this world? Do you feel the burden of this world? Maybe you need a little resurrection. So how do we do that? How do we become a Christian? How do we learn to live in the resurrection? Well, it's pretty simple, actually. You see, the story of every Christian can be summarized with the following. Your story begins with dignity. The Bible says in Jeremiah 1.4, you were formed in your mother's womb. Before you were formed, he knew you. You were not an accident. You were not a whoopsie. I don't care what your parents told you. You have a purpose and a plan, and you were made with dignity. You and I, as the Bible says in Genesis, were made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says God made you in the image, male and female, he made in the image of him, which meant you and I were made to have a relationship with him. But somewhere along that dignity, we went to a dark place called depravity or sin. At some point, you were that three-year-old and your mom said, yes, you will do this. And you stomped your foot and you went, no, I will not. You chose to do things your way. And what that ended up leading to was, well, you might have called it persecution, but it was actually justified justice. There are consequences of our actions when we live for ourselves 
Because when we live for ourselves, what we're going to do is we're going to put other people down. We're going to try to, to find power. We're going to try to find ways. And in all of those aspects, what we're doing is we're putting down others who are made in the image of God instead of releasing control of our life and walking in the presence of God and finding our power and our joy through Him. So depravity robbed us of our dignity. We deserved death sentence, yet the resurrection happened. And because of what happened on that resurrection morning, Jesus is alive. We can walk back with him and we can have that restoration back into a relationship with him. And so what it looks like for us to follow Christ is to be resurrected into the new hope and the new life by living our life with him. So here's the good news. Church, the resurrection is coming. There will be a time when there will be no more heartache, no more pain, and you can receive Jesus by simply saying, Jesus is Lord, by surrendering your life to him. But let me be clear. It can't be something you just do through a prayer. The prayer is a marker of a life surrendered to God. If you walk down one day and you prayed a prayer when you were four because you wanted to impress your mom, that doesn't mean you're saved. A saved life is a resurrected life and walks in the power of the resurrection. Now here's the tension we got to feel. It doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. There will be struggles. There will be times when you will have obstacles. There will be difficult days ahead. Whether you were baptized today or baptized 30 years ago, there are difficult days. You will never arrive on this earth. So we live in the tension of today is still a Saturday kind of experience, but Sunday is coming. However, we have hope because one Sunday has already come, and so the resurrection is already alive. So this is why in 1 Corinthians 15, 54, we can cling to this promise. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptible, hard word to say, incorruptibility. And when this mortal body is clothed with immortality. In other words, when this tent is no longer a tent and I'm home with my father. Then the saying that is written will be taking place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. So if you were to ask me, Daniel, how do you know if Easter has been successful, it's a church unified with this belief. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. For the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you live in the victory of the resurrection? In the power of the resurrection? How does it change you, shape you, mold you? So here's the challenge. A lot of times what we've done is this six-week challenge where we want you to come to church for six weeks. We're going to take it another step this year. If you've been coming to Easter last six years and you know the challenge, I know the challenge. I want you to live in the light of the resurrection for the next six weeks. In other words, I want you to immerse yourself in God's word. I want you to try to immerse yourself in prayer. I want you to try to take the power of Jesus with you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're wondering why you can't find the peace that is offered, it's because we're sectioning off Christ as a portion of our life. You're either all in or you're not in at all. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I stumble. But we want to be all in. Which means if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never really lived in the light of the resurrection, it's really simple. Right where you sit, right here, 
you can say, come in, Jesus, to my life. You can say it in your head. You don't even have to say it out loud. But you do need to tell someone. You can say, I surrender. I don't know what this resurrection looks like. It's scary. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I, I see it. I believe it. It's not just an emotion. Can I, I just want to be really crystal clear because sometimes people see me as a persona, as weird as that sounds to me. Because to me, I'm just Daniel. You're a pastor. You're supposed, can you just set that aside for a moment and hear from Daniel? A redheaded Texan who wants you to know the greatest gift of my life, the greatest moment of my existence is every moment I walk in the power of this resurrection. This isn't a car salesman. This isn't a a fake pitch. Jesus is Lord. He is good and faithful and just. He is fair. He is kind. He is noble. He sees all, knows all, and yet he loves me and you. You are not an accident. You were made with a purpose. And when you surrender to him and give him everything, it's such a wonderful place to be knowing that Yes, I can walk in that now. But that Sunday is coming. It is. So I rejoice. There's going to be a team who would love to pray with you at the end of the service up front. Even if you're in the lobby, come on front up front during that time at the end of the service. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you say, I want to receive Jesus, come and tell them. Say, I don't want to come alone. Grab the person who made you come. Turn, turn the screws on them. Say, come with me. Because we want you to know the next steps and what it means to follow Jesus. He is risen. Father, help us to live in the echo of that resurrection. The echo that's afforded to us because there is no body in that tomb. And let that echo shape the world around us. God, would your spirit move? Would you mightily move in this room and in this place? Would you, your presence be felt? God, help us to guard ourselves from sensationalism, but also skepticism. And to walk in the light of what it looks like to find you. God, start a fire. Start a movement. And let it begin here and now. As we trust you, we find you. Thank you for who you are. For you are good and holy and just. In your name we pray.